Hello, everyone, and welcome to Idea Dynamo. I am your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. And today we are going to be talking about a phenomenon called masking. Now, there's something called masking that happens when people grow up in situations that are really not affirming or supportive. And there's also masking behavior, which is what autistic people do as we grow up and learn that being different is really not accepted and our kind of different is not all that accepted. I'm joined today by a guest, a friend and colleague, Liza Citron. Hello. She is also an autistic woman like myself. And I wanted to talk with Liza about masking because she's known she's autistic for longer than I have. <laughs> and Longer than you've known that I am or longer than you've known that you've been? Longer than I've known that I am. So <laughs> she's got a little bit more experience with, with masking than I do. So Liza, um, first of all, introduce yourself to, to the audience. Hi, my name is Liza Citron. I work with... Sam in a number of her endeavors at this point, mainly with neurodiversity consulting, which she may have mentioned on the podcast previously. Mm, uh, I don't know. I don't think I have, but ta-da! <laughs> That's one of my day jobs. <laughs> I am, like Sam said, I was diagnosed as autistic, specifically Asperger's syndrome, which no longer exists as a diagnosis. There's a whole lot of stuff in that I'm sure we're going to talk about. At a pretty early age, I think I was around five, five years old, four or five, when I was diagnosed. I'm also currently going to Syracuse University for special education and minoring in disability studies, specifically because my, because my experiences in the school system as an autistic person were not exactly the best. There are a lot of areas in which the school system needs change in its treatment of disabled individuals and in which disabled students need someone who understands what they're going through. Yay so for representation! Representation! <laughs> but yeah, that's basically what I'm doing at the moment. Uh, autistic, working here, seeing and doing things through that lens, mm -hmm. advocating that sort of thing. And then going to school so I can do that in the future in education and mm -hmm. studying disability. Cool. So, of course, the first question is, what is masking? We don't need to do the eye contact. It's okay. <laughs> That's weird. Ah! Yeah, it is. I'm looking at you because I'm, I'm trying to read. Lips to reinforce. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There. There are no. There are no captions. Yeah, Sorry. Not when. Nah. It'll. It'll be fine. Uh, am I supposed to answer that? Or? Yeah. Yeah. About the masking. <laughs> so for me, masking is in essence finding a way to pretend or camouflage that I am autistic in situations where that would either be an extreme disadvantage to me or where I would be treated better were I not. I grew up in a household where I was not allowed to socialize with other autistic people because my parents thought, hey, oh, it's nature versus nurture. If we let her socialize with other autistic people, she will take on those behaviors. Hmm. Masking, for me, comes from that in part 
because hi, I'm here and I am still autistic and displaying those behaviors despite not socializing with autistic people from an early age. But for me, that's the biggest aspect of masking. Pretending, essentially, putting on a face, a mask mm -hmm. of neurotypicality, uh, i.e. not being autistic, because that is the way in which the world is built. The world is built for holistic, non-autistic, neurotypical people. Cool. So my experience of, of masking has been of other autistic people talking about it. Mm -hmm. And as I've become diagnosed, I'm like, oh, so this is why in certain settings I'm one person and in other settings I'm someone else entirely because I learned that some aspects of myself, my personality were not accepted People did not like it and I wanted to fit in. So I tried to be the person instead that they would accept. Yeah. It didn't work, but mm -hmm. I, I kept trying anyway. Does it ever? <laughs> no, no, not really. And now that, now that I know that masking is a thing um, and now that I know that I'm autistic, I can be kinder to myself and not stress so much about those things that make me stick out, not stress so much about those things that people might criticize. And so the, the, the masking becomes less. And I wanted to, to, I, so I looked up masking the definition, you know, Google. And, um, when I found it, yes, it's Wikipedia, but <laughs> look, Wikipedia actually cites their source documents. So yeah. come on. It may not be valid as a source for your papers, but it cites sources that would yes. be valid for your papers. So we can use it. Which it makes no sense to me that it can't be valid as source material, even though it is so. Cites its sources. Yeah, even though it cites its source material. But okay, um, back Wikipedia. to the <laughs> back to Wikipedia and academic frustrations. <laughs> academic frustrations and masking. So it calls masking a process in which an individual changes or masks their natural personality to conform to social pressures, abuse, or harassment. And it, it goes on um, more, but it also says that masking can be strongly influenced by environmental factors such as authorita authoritarian parents, mm -hmm. rejection, hello, uh, yes. And emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. An individual may not even know that they are masking because it is a behavior that can take many forms. So yes, for those of us who have developmental disabilities, autism, yes, rejection is a common thing in our lives. Rejection from peers, uh, rejection from family, and we have to figure out somehow how to deal with that. Another thing is that uh, people with disabilities, um, particularly, well, actually people with all kinds of disabilities are at greater risk of being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused. I keep bringing this up. Yeah. Because it's important. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I, if I remember correctly, the rates are between two to 3% higher. Mm, but yeah. 
that really depends on the type of abuse, the diagnosis, and the situation mm -hmm. within which someone is. Yeah. But I've certainly heard of emotional abuse leading, mm -hmm. all sorts of abuse leading people to mask because that is the, their, their autism and the traits they're in are the reason why the person, yeah. I mean, not the reason why the person abused them because there is no legitimate reason, mm -hmm. but what the person thought that their reason for abusing the person is. Yes. And so thinking about masking and what that feels like from the inside, uh, as I as I look back over my life, I remember tr do, trying to do things that would get my peers to accept me, um, doing things that would get my parents to to praise me and acknowledge me for for my achievements. And uh, one of the things that I, I did to please my parents was, well, it wasn't really to please my parents because I liked it. I learned things <laughs> and I got good grades. Now, this may have pleased my parents. My peers weren't so impressed. So, you know, I, I, I got bullied by a kid in like the second grade for reading a book, like at school, like it's school. You're supposed to do that kind of thing at school. And, uh, you know, things about me that people, you know, criticized for, I was too quiet. I was too chatty sometimes. I asked too many questions. I was always reading books. I was like, come on, people, make up your minds. And now I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but My as I was growing up, I was always trying to figure out what do people want? What do yeah. people like? What will make them accept me? And uh, I never really did find the answer. So now I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you get what you get. With looking up stuff. Mm-hmm. It's generally stopped, but my brother used to always have a running thing of, oh, yeah, you looked it up. I did research. I, whenever I, I, I came up with an answer to anything, you were like, oh, I guess this is from your research or you looked it up or whatever. And, yeah, mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. That's what I do in my spare time. I'm the kind of person who watches Crash Course videos or SciShow videos or music theory videos mm. in my time and yeah <laughs> i did look this up and and we should mention that we are two different generations i'm gen x you're millennial millenzi i guess Millen you know some, somewhere on the somewhere on the border between millennial and gen z birthday, so birthday 1997 let's put it that way okay so a very young millennial. So you had the internet the entire time. Your whole life, you had access to the internet. But we... But I, I didn't get access to the internet until about three years before you were born in 1994 when I went to college. I had it, but I didn't have it on my hands because I, I didn't have access to it. Yeah. Um, but still, the, the internet yeah. was always a thing, a thing for you. Yeah. Whether or not you could sit in your bed and access it on your phone, that's something else. But it cultural, was always a thing for you. A cultural thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I had my first access to the internet. It was 1994 when mm -hmm. I went to college. Don't do the math. Don't do the math. <laughs> and the, the, the college is like, here, everybody gets an email account. I'm like, wow, I just read about this last year in one of my science classes. 
email. <laughs> and it, it was the wild, wild west of the internet. You know, there were the browser wars. Netscape was still a thing. I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I taught myself how to code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have an interesting perspective on this mm-hmm. part of things because, yes, I grew up with it being a thing. But I have one of my parents is the very, very, very end of I mean, very, very beginning, rather, of Gen X. And the other is the very, very end of Boomer. Mm-hmm. So very different things there. And they grew yeah. up in very different worlds Yes, as well. Yes. So uh, I forgot where I was going with all this, but there were some. Looking was... up stuff and being. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have access to the Internet when I was yep. growing up to look up all the things. I do now. <laughs> but so, looking up what masking, yeah. what the technical definition of yeah. masking so, is. So, like five minutes before we started, I looked up masking for the technical definition because I know what it's like to live it. I don't know what people say about it. Yeah. And uh, so that was that was one of my experiences, you know, with the looking things up. I had to actually go to the library, flip through the card catalog, mm-hmm. you know, use the microfilm and microfiche machines. Half of you probably don't even know what those words mean. It's okay. Google it. My father did teach me how to do those things, even though they weren't Mm -hmm. technically needed at that point. But, like, he had me do them. Yeah. So, getting back on track to this masking, masking, then this presents a, a really heavy burden for those of us who mask to bear, because we're constantly assessing what people's expectations are, constantly making observations about their behavior, trying to extrapolate what they like and don't like, and then trying to make ourselves be those things. And under those circumstances, um, you know, it leads it leads to burnout. For me, there was a lot of anxiety and depression because I didn't understand what the heck these people around me wanted. I couldn't figure out how to, to, um, be what they, what they wanted or what they would approve of. And it made me think that there was something wrong with me. And, you know, being an internalizer, all of that rejection, you know, piled up inside of me, like there must be something wrong with me. Because yeah. people won't talk to me, won't hang out with me, won't call me, won't invite me to parties, all this stuff. And so what, for, for you, what's that, what is the load of masking like for you? That's kind of a hard question to answer because the thing about it for me is that from a very early age, I was taught indirectly, but still taught that pretending not to be who I was in multiple aspects, but especially in terms of autism, was better than thinking about, okay, I'm autistic. What does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. And is there something I can embrace in that? So now it's almost an automatic process. Like you were saying, doing it without even realizing that you're doing it. I don't know what I would do if I didn't, if I, if I 
didn't do it automatically. I don't know what exactly that would be like. I don't know what the strain of doing it would be. And I don't know if I would choose to do it. But at this point, it takes conscious effort to not do it. And that stems, that's not stems, that affects everything from increased occupation with the way I present myself, the way I look, to the things I say, to even, autism is not my only disability. I am physically disabled in other ways. So not presenting myself on, not letting anyone see me on my bad days with those other things, just to make sure that I am still seen as competent. For me, to a degree, masking allows, unfortunately, other people to see me as just as competent as other people. But there is stuff that goes into that. And if I don't do it, people will be surprised. I could lose opportunities. Basically, I've been taught that I will get further in the world. I will do more if I don't appear autistic. And while I was diagnosed from a young age, because I was limited in my interaction with autistic people or even my knowledge about autism itself, especially because I, at a certain point, me and my parents basically gave up getting any services for me in school, I, despite my diagnosis, I didn't have the experience of being diagnosed from an early age. So to a certain degree, and especially as an autistic woman, I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a bit, in a minute, when people think we don't exist, I've had a similar experience to you, Sam, in that while I was diagnosed at age four or five, I didn't really have that process of understanding what that diagnosis was or having anything to do with it other than my parents using it as an excuse sometimes until I was an adult, probably until I started working with you, really until I started working with you a couple of years ago and maybe a couple of years before that hmm. when I started getting active online yeah. on social media. So you, you mentioned the fact that we are women and we are autistic, and uh, that does those those identities layer together to create a unique experience, something that is that is not typical of the typical presentation of male autistics, autistic men. Um, we are not them. There there may be some similarity similarities like. Um, for, for my, my eldest two who are autistic, there are similarities between us, but um, I think the thing that that most obviously distinguishes the two of us is that the, th the three of us between my boys and myself is that their autism was pretty obvious from the time they were toddlers. Yeah. My autism, nobody noticed. Except maybe when my, my, my oldest was 16 years old and he's like, mom, 
I know what your problem is. You're just like me. At the time, I thought he meant that I was just like him in having ADHD. Now, it turns out he noticed the autism too. Um, we just both mistook it for ADHD. <laughs> uh, and, and ADHD is a common co-occurring condition yes. with autism. So I'm still on the fence about whether or not I really do have ADHD. Because it, it sure does feel like what I read in the textbooks. That's the thing. No, either autistic people, no one's of a consensus on whether ADHD is, in our case, a discrete thing in and of itself or a symptom under the umbrella mm -hmm. of the autism. Yeah. So get, getting back to my original point yes. um, about autism and and womanhood layering together to create a, a different profile. One of, again, what I pointed out, one of the things is that it's easier to notice in, in men when they are, when they are children than it is to notice in women when we're children. Um, one of the potential things, mm -hmm. one of the potential things is the qualities associated with autism <clears throat> are more divergent from what's expected of boys than what is expected of women, of girls. There is definitely a gender gap in diagnosis that might not be able to be explained by that, but there's also a level of how do we socialize girls versus how do we socialize boys. And these qualifiers, not qualifiers, these traits from autism are a lot more different that from what you expect of boys than what you expect of girls. Girls are expected to be quieter. We're expected to be more interested in books or things mm -hmm. not being with people or yeah, you know there there's that 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 quality of of shyness or or being demure that mm -hmm. is expected of women and girls, whereas boys are expected to be loud and rambunctious and, you know, burly and manly. So if they're bouncing off the walls, like, uh, and running around, okay. Um, but girls, women, we are taught to turn the volume down on ourselves so that we don't stick out as much. Mm -hmm. um, and that lends, you know, having that training, it lends itself to disguising the fact that some of us are struggling with stuff mm -hmm. and could need some support. We also know that there is a link, we don't know why, between women, women with PCOS and autistic women. So there could be something hormonal mm -hmm. integrated into there, some biological PCOS reason, being uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which mm -hmm. is a... It's what it sounds like, cysts on the ovaries, but it is controlled and created by a higher level of androgens, i.e. male hormones like testosterone and other hormones mm -hmm. of that sort. So there could be a biological reason for it as well, but there is definitely some aspect to it that is in the way we socialize ourselves, and that potentially means that we are more likely to feel like we have to be like the other girls 
than boys are to be like the other boys. Like they, there's also a lot more societal pressure on girls. Yeah. Which can lead us to mask more when we are diagnosed. Yeah. There's, there's more pressure, I guess, to, to get the social things yes. right. And so we tend to buckle under that pressure and try really hard to cover up the fact that we might not fit in. Whereas this idea that sometimes guys are loners, that's more accepted. So if there's mm -hmm. a guy who's like, yeah, nope, I, no, I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to do things the way you tell me to. I'm going to do my own way. That's more acceptable than it is for women to be like that. Well, there's and a reason. I, fe I felt that quite a bit yeah. growing up because I was always alone and on the outside. And sometimes I was like, I'm okay with this. I told, I told one of my best friends in high school that, you know what? I like trees better than I like people. <laughs> There's a reason that certain archetypes that fall into that category are often are more often associated with, with men than they are with women. I don't know about now, but there was a period in which your wallflower was almost exclusively male. If they were female, they would be something else hmm. they would be just more everywhere rather than internal not quite the stereotype of the, the archetype of pixie dream girl but definitely pixie dream girl you got, pixie dream girl uh, you, which you is gotta the, explain that to me yeah which is it's essentially Anyone who knows Cabaret, the, the musical Cabaret, okay. if you don't, I can try and explain what the character is, but the way in which the protagonist there really doesn't care about her life, lives in the moment, mm. and, and just doesn't really care about... Not doesn't care about people, but always there to help someone else or, or or help someone else find themselves or something like that. Mm -hmm. We don't often get to be the people who are okay being loners and people watchers and stuff. Yeah. That, uh, that characterization often doesn't get put onto girls for societal reasons. Mm -hmm. We know of the of the male loner, the male writer, poet, whatever yeah, you want, yeah. but just just which turned into the the emo goth boy type thing. Yeah, but... which was which was just just the point that I was talking exactly. about that you know society has a place in its collective brain for men of all types for for men of all types. It does not have it does not seem to have a place in its collective brain for. Um, women who really do like trees more than they like people. I went to college and I studied plants because I liked mm -hmm. trees more than I liked people. Now I see where, <laughs> now actually now I see where your two daughters get it from. Oh dear. <laughs> what? <laughs> where they get what from? <laughs> They're really, really being interested, like being distracted by rocks or by a bug or Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They, they, in, in a lot of ways, they're like I was growing up, except out loud. Oh yeah. They were moving. They were helping me move into my apartment and they kept being distracted by things in the grass. Yeah. 
So I, I guess as as a as a parent, as a mother, yeah. I wanted my kids to be comfortable being whoever, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they want that they were, and to to not try to conform themselves to other people's expectations. This has come back to bite me in the butt, but overall, it's a good thing because they are able to express themselves without fear of judgment, which again has come back to bite me in the butt. It's come back to bite you. It hasn't come back to bite them, which is, I think, the the very important thing. Parenting is hard, y'all, especially when you're parenting opinionated children that you have encouraged to be opinionated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. We also talked about this in our most recent Life Fantastic episode, but I... That's another podcast that I do, y'all. Life Fantastic podcast. Disabilities. All about disabilities. disabilities. We just talked about this, the fact that also in churches or synagogues or any other faith community, there might be a particular expectation of people. And autistic people often don't fit into that expectation. Uh So we are forced to mask. The communities in which I were, also the larger groups within which they were, had a tendency to be almost on the border of cult-like. So there was definitely an expectation of what you were supposed to be, not only as a person in that faith community, but as a girl. And that was not aligned at all Mm -hmm. with who I was as an artistic person by then I kind of knew okay I I can't act this way if I want to get along with people yeah I got scolded a lot growing up for ripping my 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 tights and pantyhose at church um from running around and you know climbing climbing into over and around things playing getting my clothes dirty playing in the dirt yeah and uh yeah, girls do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if you've mentioned this, but I think we also have to note that your dad is a pastor, so Yes, yes he is. And yeah, you know, sitting in the the very front row at church fighting with my siblings and like, you know, getting the side eye. <laughs> oh no. My dad was a pianist, so we sat so close to the front and mm-hmm. it, Yeah. That was fun. And there, especially in, in, in faith communities, there are a lot of expectations for how women are supposed to behave. Oh, And yeah. particularly, oh, wait, how much time do we have? Um, particularly in Christian circles, particularly in American Christian circles that I am most familiar with, there are a lot of things that women are supposed to do and not do and that really have nothing to do with the 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 individual's personality, their strengths, their interests. It's not and accept, it's, it's not accept us for who we are. It's mold us into what this faith community and what this yeah. religion dictates we should be. And, and that is had, something that changes over time. Yes. The interpretation of certain parts of scripture, even in whether it's Christianity, Messianic Judaism so much of it has changed and that can often be weaponized against disabled, specifically developmentally disabled Mm -hmm. and autistic women. Yes. So there, 
definitely needs to be a certain amount of loosening of the bonds, the, the, the boundaries placed on what women are supposed to be in different settings so that we can find out who we actually are. And okay, I have to admit y'all that I have broken a few walls and, and, and hurt some feelings <laughs> and hurt some feelings as, as I become more comfortable just being myself. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Nor am I. If anyone listens to, again, the podcast, uh, the other podcast, they'll become familiar with the fact that I'm the same way. Yes, yes. Liza speaks her mind no matter what. <laughs> Which is, uh. Well, I don't think I've ever been on, like, the, the sharp end of Liza speaking her mind, but if that ever becomes a thing, oh my. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. So, let's see. We started We started with masking. I'm not sure where we are right now. But, again, there's, there's this, that phenomenon of trying to make up for what society tells you you should have. Mm-hmm. That is extremely stressful. And uh, yeah, it's a thing. I have to look look twice as good as a neurotypical girl if I'm going to get perceived in a certain way. I have to work twice as hard. I have Mm -hmm. to... Great, that comes into masking. Mm. You were talking about how you didn't do it to please your parents, but you... M- maintained high grades and intended to do that. Yeah. That is part of masking for me. I need to do better than the neurotypical people to make up for mm-hmm. the the things that society thinks of me because I'm autistic. Yeah. And we've we've talked a little bit about this before and you know, I was diagnosed as autistic as an adult just a few years ago and not knowing what people are thinking when I tell them that I'm autistic. <laughs> I I don't know what people are thinking. And right now, as I've grown and matured and become more comfortable with myself, I don't really care <laughs> if they're going to think negative, yep. negatively about me because I'm autistic, because I'm a woman, because I'm black, because I'm of a different faith. Well, gosh, that's, that's good. Oh yeah. I keep forgetting. I've been, I've been here so long that I keep forgetting, but, but you, you, get you know, in, you get that's into, their problem. You get into conversations where that has bearing on it. The conversation you mm-hmm. got in argument you yeah, got into yeah. a month ago. Was it only a month ago? It, it was maybe two months ago. Um, yeah. So there, and I, I think I did a podcast about this, an idea dynamo podcast about this, but there was a situation when, uh, you know, the New York state budget was being discussed and there was a provision to provide funding to um, help support um, undocumented immigrants who had lost lost their, uh, their incomes because of COVID. And it was supposedly being taken out of the disability budget uh, well, or being... Well, it wasn't that it was being taken out of the disability budget. There, there were a group of um, disability, quote unquote, advocates 
who were insisting that it was wrong and shameful to provide funding to to undocumented immigrants who had lost their livelihoods, meaning they don't have any money for food, clothing, or shelter. It was wrong to provide for that um, because there were disabled people who should also be provided mm-hmm. for. And my thinking was, well, you know, deciding who gets to be disenfranchised based on whatever the prevailing group says should be valued is exactly the reason why disabled people don't have the resources that they need to live their lives. And I think masking played into this because to expand on this, this group is mostly made up of parents of developmentally disabled individuals who say that they are intending to support developmentally disabled individuals, but it ends up turning into a support group for Mm. these parents who often vilify their disabled children. And I think the fact that you, they didn't know that you were autistic. Oh, I identified myself as someone who was autistic. But not at first, I think. The Mm. very first. But the fact that you can be perceived in this group as one of them because you are a parent of autistic kids Mm -hmm. without disclosing that you're autistic yourself, masking definitely Mm -hmm. plays into that. Yeah. And they were so upset that I, as I was making my point, that it is counterproductive to set the needs of, of immigrants against the needs of people with disabilities. They were super mad that I wasn't saying illegal immigrants. Um, well, see, it's really a bad look for a society anywhere to they, have a group of people that they consider that they consider it's okay to leave destitute and yeah. without support. And they weren't even they weren't even saying immigrants on their side. They may have started that way, but they were saying words that didn't even include that, and they blamed you for saying that these people were immigrants instead mm. that they were illegal aliens or this or that. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, and again, my argument that it's counterproductive to advocate for disenfranchised people by saying, well, you should disenfranchise this other group of people just flew over their heads. That's dehumanization. And that's how we start to have things like Willowbrook again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, tell them about Willowbrook because not everybody knows. Uh, Yeah, Willowbrook was a mental institution in Staten Island. A school now stands on its ground. I think it's University of Staten Island or something of that sort. But it was an institution, a lot of whose population was developmentally disabled individuals, but anyone who was considered disabled and... It was a hot mess. Yeah, and no one was allowed in or out until someone risked themselves by allowing a reporter in there, which is when we got to see the conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. It was a hot mess. Yeah. I wrote something comparing. uh, They're not exactly the same because different communities, but the conditions in there from what we saw in that documentary were almost the same as ghettos, Jewish 
ghettos. And we're, we're not talking about like modern urban centers no. in the U.S. No. We're talking about Europe. Yeah, Venetian 1930s ghetto. 1930s. And previous. And before. And yeah. Yeah. Warsaw ghetto, that sort of thing. And the conditions were the same. And if we start to dehumanize a group or even pretend that we can't be who we are, because society dehumanizes us if we are, that if we express ourselves that mm-hmm. way, then that is one step closer to getting to these atrocities again. Yeah. And I will I will leave it there because if we keep going, yeah. we will never get home. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I do want to go home and rest binge there. watch. No, not rest. Binge watch some K-dramas. <laughs> Well, that's your type of rest for you. Yes, that's how I that's how I rest. So, thank you Liza for for joining me today and having this conversation about masking and what that means for autistic women. And uh we'll I look forward to having you on for more conversations cuz it's so easy to easy to talk to you. Um and this is the Idea Dynamo podcast. Where I go, I, I go off script. I, I, let's be honest. Yeah, I go off script a lot, and we're allowed to more than we do on. It's 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 a nice respite to be allowed to more than our other podcast. Yes, the the other podcasts I kind of have to stay on script because you know I, I'm, I'm I'm advocating for things like education and disability rights, so I can't go too far off script. Here I go completely off script. I'm Samantha Samantha Pierce, the Idea Dynamo. Thank you for listening in, and I look forward to having... Stop laughing at me. (laughs) I look forward to having you again for another great topic where I go completely off script. You know, I mean, it's in the best of... (laughs) Okay, here we go. Samantha Dynamo. Yes. (laughs) 